everybody. This is your Team Vineyard podcast. Uh, we're helping you love Jesus, grow together, and give back. This is Pastor Kathy, and I'm so happy to be here with you guys today, and also with our special guest, Dr. Randy Smith. Uh, Randy is our speaker for the weekend, talking about why the Bible is trustworthy. I think that's sort of the title of your talk today. Pretty sure that's close. So I'm super excited. I've read your notes. And so Inside Scoop, it's gonna, you're really going to like it. It's great. And so we get to do a little conversation ahead of time. And so, Dr. Smith, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Okay. Uh, I grew up in South Jersey. I hope you can't hear it, but um, grew up there and came to know the Lord as a senior in high school. I was in a Christian high school long before I was a Christian. Um, had an opportunity really to, uh, I wanted to go into the Marine Corps and uh, they wouldn't take me. They, I went to the physical and they said, you need an operation. So I went and had the operation. Really? And I was a hernia operation. I was laying in the bed and the doctor came in and said, you know, most people, I do this operation a lot and most people heal and you're not healing. Now my mother says she didn't do this on purpose, but she brought me things from my nightstand and in there was an application to go to Bible college. <laughs> I said to Jesus, look, I'll put in the application, but I'm not going to Bible college. I'm waiting three months, reapplying and going to the Marine Corps. Yeah, well, um, as the Lord would have it, I said, all right, I'm accepted to Bible college. I'll go, but I'm not staying at Bible college. I'm going <laughs> to the Marine Corps. And then really I fell in love with the Bible and really mm. found that the path to understanding who God is and what he wanted me to know was right in front of me. And I heard a lot about the Bible as a kid, but I didn't really understand why it was going to be transformative to how I live and what I do every yeah. single day. Wow. And what do you do now? I'm a Bible teacher, as yeah. funny as that sounds. Um, I actually run a couple of different things. Uh, I started two schools, one in Toronto, Canada, another one in Avon Park, Florida, um, Great Commission Bible Institute, or gcbi.net. And online, there's 350 hours of Bible teaching through the Bible from that classroom over the last 10 years. So I actually get older in the classroom as you watch. It's kind of fun. Um, but, you know, I, I do that. But most of the year, I'm actually overseas. My non-COVID experience is eight months of the year. I'm either in Jerusalem or in Rome and located out of those two. And I teach everywhere from cruise ships to camelbacks. I just oh, wow. teach the Bible. on look, How does standing on this spot help you understand these verses of the Bible better? And that's pretty much how I spend eight months of my year. Then I poke back in, zip into the classroom, say a bunch of things to young people that energize my soul, yeah. and then go back out on, the, out on the hot sands and do it all again. So 2020, not so much. Yeah, like that. I, I have watched the melting of 35 years into slag. It's, there's pretty much, I mean, I am spending everything our company saved. You know, normally I have uh, 20 some groups that come and the groups right. pay to go on these experiences and I fund the nonprofit things we do through those oh, groups. Wow. Well, I'm still committed to everything. I just don't have any income. <laughs> so you're looking at the happiest unemployed guy you've ever met. Wow. Um, so what we've done is we've just said, you know what? The Lord has built up our ministry. We are not starving, obviously. And honestly, we're just going to ride this out and see where it goes. Yeah. Now, next year and the year after, I'm locked down with groups from churches and colleges from all over the world. 
or I have nothing on my schedule. Depends on what COVID wow. does. Yeah. So, you know, there's this line in James 4 that says, you do not know what will be on the morrow. I'm just laughing because if anybody is has ever been convinced of any scripture at all, I have been convinced that you do not know what tomorrow is going to bring. So true. That's, That's so it. true. In this season, things change day to day, not even <laughs> month to month or week to week. Wow. I was feeling sad because we had to cancel all of our mission trips this year. And so I not even eight, I mean, eight months of your year was canceled. Yes, everything was canceled. And right now I'm working on cancellations for next year. We're in March. So uh, in a few weeks, I have to either cancel out March and move to April. You know, so we're yeah. looking at what's happening. Right. Truthfully, I'm really at peace with the whole thing. Oh, that's great. I really am. I, during COVID, I went, bought a destroyed house and flipped it. Wow. Because I needed something to keep me from going insane. So the, I've actually been swinging a hammer, laying tile, doing plumbing, and I'm having the time of my life. That's great. So and the school is still going on? School's going on because Good. they live on their campus. Oh, right. So when they quarantine, it looks exactly the same as when they live on their campus. <laughs> so it's fine. It's oh, fine. Good. That's good. Well, that's exciting. So you've been doing Bible stuff for most of your life. Yes. Yeah. I left in Bible college to go to Israel. Uh, one of my college professors, I didn't realize what he was trying to do was get me out of the college. But at the time, he said, you know, you ought to go to Israel. So I said, what's Israel? The only person I knew that was Jewish in my life was my dentist. And I didn't like dentists. So I thought, well, it's like going to be a whole nation of dentists or something. But seriously, I went there and I fell in love with the reality that the Bible is not like a Star Wars, you know, long ago in a galaxy far beyond kind yeah. of story. That our faith is cross-checkable. That it's in historic. Our, the Bible grew out of dirt. I mean, it's right there. It's oh, stuff you touch. Yeah. And once I could see that and once I could understand it, I began to understand that the, the sad part is the people that trust the Bible the most know the least about how authentic it really is. And the people who know all about the authenticity do it as a science study, but don't actually read the Bible for themselves. Right. So you have these two disconnected parts. Yeah. My life has been about a bridge between those two. Wow. That's exciting. That, yeah. There's so many questions going around, none of which are on our paper right here. <laughs> but that's okay. Uh, so this weekend here at Vineyard, I think, and I should have looked it up, what your message title is... Is it why should why I, I should trust why the Bible. should I trust mm -hmm. the Bible? Okay, and so just short. Is there? There's probably not a short answer to that, but because uh, you're going to teach about it. But like just right here between you and me, why should I trust the Bible? I think there's three things that happen in every college campus I go to now. The criticism is this: a Christian kid walks onto the campus and they throw the first punch of how can you tell me there's a God? And while they're reeling backwards, they throw a second punch. And if you did know there was a God, how do you know you're serving the right one? Mm. And if you did know those two things, how do you know that the books you have represent what that God actually said? That kind of combo punch, because Satan's a combination puncher. Yeah. Those three come at them so fast. And now you're sitting in a classroom where everyone else in the classroom has a compendium of every criticism ever raised against Christianity in their phone. 
hmm. lovingly compiled by Google, right? So <laughs> the bottom line is they have this unbelievable set of, of every weak thing ever done by the church, like the church wouldn't fail up a two-car parade. I mean, come on. We know if it weren't for the Spirit of God, we'd have absolutely no hope whatsoever. Right. So in the middle of all that, I guess my thinking would be this. If you go out and look at the world and you start asking the question, how many books are out there that would lead me to God? You'll find out that there are fewer people running for God than you think. Hmm. That many of the world religions don't even talk about bringing you to God. You may get nirvana, you may get a state of being, but they're not actually evidencing saying we can bring you to God. Christianity is one of those that actually makes the truth claim that you can know your creator, that you can have a, an intimate personal relationship with your creator. Mm -hmm. and, and, and I mention that only to say this. Um, if we're going to evaluate faiths one against the other, most of us didn't do that. Most of us, honestly, we went to a church picnic because we like picnics. We found people there that we liked and we ended up in, in that church or whatever. And the gospel, the message of Jesus came to us probably later. We bought the people first yeah. and the message second. That's so true. Yeah. Now, not, not too many people I know actually went down a list of, you know, I've checked out Buddhist claims. I've checked out Confucius. I've checked out. That's not how it happens. Right. But here's the truth. People walk in, they may walk in this evening looking for a plumbing fix in their life, a relationship, money. Mm -hmm. and, and God isn't interested in doing a plumbing fix. He wants to rip the entire plumbing out and start again. But they don't know that. Yeah. And he uses us in our ignorance, grabs our heart, and then shows us how much more we can be and how much more he can do. Now, what I wanted to know is if I'm going to base my faith on all this, how do I know that I know what I know? Because to me, if you're going to use documents and say this leads you to God, how can you come to the place where you trust those documents? So for me, it was a question of going out and measuring truth claims against evidence. I wasn't the nice Christian kid who just accepted. I was the guy who said, I want to know how you know that this is true. Yeah. And so I guess the short answer to your question about why you should trust the Bible is this. We have literally tons of information on minutia and details of historical events that cross-reference what the Bible says. You cannot do that with the Quran. Hmm. You cannot do that with Confucius's sayings. Mm -hmm. Buddha will be of no help to you in terms of cross-checking real history. There's nobody else out there. When you go to look at evidence and evidentiary understanding, there's nobody else out there. So the Bible doesn't leave itself void of history. Almost every page, there's something I can check. And for much of the history since the end of, let's say, the writing of the New Testament till my life, for much of that time, most of those details had been lost in history and are being dug up within the last 200 years. The archaeologist may not start off with a great appreciation of the text, but they won't dig long in Israel and not right. get a, a, an appreciation of the text. Right. So for me, it's just about evidence. It really yeah. is. Yeah, that's good. That's good. So this podcast is for our Team Vineyard members. There's about 600 Team Vineyard members, and they are in varying uh, 
parts of their faith. Some are some have been Christians for a long time, have read the Bible for a long time. Some are new. Some have had an absence from Christ and are just getting back into reading the Bible. I've been meeting with someone recently who's uh, attended church for a long time, has never studied the Bible ever mm. until right now, which is exciting uh, to see it through her eyes. So for someone who is either new to following Jesus and picking up their Bible for the first time or someone who is re-engaging, what advice do you have for them? Like, where do they start? How do they, uh, how do they dive in and not get overwhelmed right away? Well, I back into the question two ways. First, let me say, Jesus said, you think that here in all these words of this law, you'll find life. In me, you'll find life. Mm. So, if you're going to, to grab this, the text of Scripture, do it with the end in mind, which is the relationship, not the oh, text. That's so good. Because, you know, I know all kinds of people who are incredibly eggheaded about the text, yeah. but don't seem to get the idea of a relationship. Yeah. It's kind of like buying a book about marriage and having a pretty bad one, you know? <laughs> I, 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 the other thing I would say is this. Um, growth and maturity in my faith really looks exactly like this. In the morning, before I get out of bed, I'm asking Jesus, I'm inviting Jesus to lead the dance of my life. To me, it's important to remember that Jesus loves to dance, but only when he leads, right? Mm -hmm. So instead of stepping all over his feet today, I'm in this dance lesson throughout my day. The end of my day looks like, Lord, would you inspect the dance from today? So it's a very simple view of a Christian life. I'm growing in a relationship by inviting and that invitation that's daily, followed by the inspection. I have a bigger view. That is, I heaven is an unending time of intimacy with Jesus. It's not about gold streets. You're dead. What do you need gold for? Okay, it's not, it's not a big deal. But, but this is about being unending with him, which means if I'm not cultivating now a desire to be with him today, why am I looking for unending time with him then? That right. doesn't make any sense, right. right? Oh, so good. So all that's just before I even open the Bible and start. I have to have a desire and a hunger for a relationship that comes from the book, not for a relationship with a book. That's, that's a really where, good distinction. Yeah, yeah, because I think I went Maybe down the wrong road for one, a lot of years. Maybe you should say that one more time. I have to have a, a, a long-term desire for the relationship with the one that comes from the book not just the relationship with a book. That's really good. So my, that gives your Bible extra zip and zing because now it's got a purpose. Now you're not just doing something. I can put up a fence all day long in the hot sun if I'm going to hear my wife say, honey, that is a fantastic fence. <laughs> if there's a reason, I'll go through all the hardship yeah. for the result. And I think people open their Bible and they think the result is somehow knowing the 1189 chapters that, because I count, yeah. uh, that, that, that knowing the 1189 chapters that are in there and all the detail about whose bride was named whatever, if there's no purpose to it, you're not going to do it. Right. So the, the oh, Bible school that I set up, everybody comes in and they get a wide margin, no notes Bible. And we go through a year. No study notes at all. No study notes. Because you're going to make your own. Yeah, that's cool. So they read through the Bible nine or ten days out loud in I a circle. I saw that. I'm, yeah. And then I basically say, put a put a, a sticky note anywhere in your Bible where you see something that you really want to make sure this year you get answered as we go through. And, you know, I didn't know the donkey talked. Whatever. And stick it in there and, and we will do it. Now, the, the point is, 
I'm going to give them methods to, to study various types of scripture. Um, not all the Bible is made the same way. So you have seven different types of literature in the Bible. Right. And you don't read a phone book the way you read a romance novel unless you're really, really strange, right? <laughs> so, so I'm going to teach them, and I usually do it through television shows, which is a little bit weird, but, but it like works. It. I like that. So drama, for instance, 54% of the Bible in Randy's unscientific narrative, having cut up Bibles all over his apartment many years ago, 54% <laughs> of the Bible is biography. It's a drama where there's action, there's deception, there's trouble, there's, you know, there's um, uh, redemption and release, and all of this happening inside of a drama. So what I do is I teach them how to do acts and scenes and build the drama. Right. And, and cut up, take the life of Abraham from Genesis 12 to Genesis 25 and just line out the field with what are the acts and scenes what are the episodes and what does the miniseries look like when you're done? And the question I'm constantly asking is, what's the point? Not, not did, did it happen, but why did God tell me? Why do I need to know this obscure story about a person who's dust? Hmm. Why, why would that matter? And so there's, a, there's a, a timeless truth or a purpose. It all started for me, though, in college. A professor started me studying the Bible in contradistinction to what was going on in class, he said, you really want to know the Bible? We were at a lunch one time, and he said, here's what you need to do. Get a Gospel of John and read seven chapters of the Gospel of John every day for the next month. So I did. The next month, you read the next seven chapters. The next month, you read the next seven chapters. And he said, after three months, here's what you'll know. You'll know that the woman of the wells, uh, the woman at the well story is at the bottom of the right-hand column over there on the page. <laughs> you just go over it enough that the content doesn't become the thing that you get caught in before you can figure out the meaning. Hmm. People look at the Bible and they want to get the meaning before they get the content. That's the reason why I could sit with pastors. Kathy, you know this. I could sit with pastors in a room and say, give me the Romans road to salvation. And they got it. And I say, tell me the story of Ezekiel's life. And they got nothing. Yeah. 48 chapters of a love story of a guy whose wife dies halfway through the book in chapter 24. And God says, you're not allowed to mourn. <laughs> and you're like, what's going on? It's a great story. But we don't know that story. We know right. the theology right. or the bullet point kind of re-edition of the scripture that answers the 21st century inquiring mind, but we don't know the content of what's in our book. Yeah. So if you just read it a lot to the point where, I also listen to the Bible. Oh um, yeah, I'd love to do that. It's nine minutes to listen to Philippians. Who's, yeah. Who doesn't have nine minutes? Right. You know, right. man, when my kids were teenagers, nine minutes wouldn't even be a shower, you know? So, <laughs> so really they could, you could do this and you listen to it and listen to it like a letter of a guy who's writing about hope when he's in a very, very difficult situation looking for, you know, judicial awareness from somebody like Nero, probably yeah. not a great, you know, plan for the future. And, and, and you look and you listen to it and you go, Okay, what's, what's really happening here? How's he capturing the subject? And you'll start to hear that there's a repetition of words. There's, you know, in Hebrew, when you say something, my wife and I raised our children in Jerusalem, so they grew up in Hebrew schools. And in, in Hebrew, when you say something, since there's no grammar or there's no marks in the text, 
When you want to emphasize something, you don't have an exclamation point. So you say it twice. You say it twice. And that's how you know it's emphasized. If you say it three times, it's the it's superlative. The mostest ever, mm -hmm. right? Holy, holy, holy. Wow. When you go to superlative form, yeah. so when you start reading through Jesus, who's speaking Aramaic or Hebrew out on a side of a hillside, look for the things he's repeating. Yeah. You'll start to pick it up. All that to say, there's different kinds of literature. You don't read them all the same, but read them. Right. People ask me all the time, what's the best translation? The one you read, okay? Because the one you don't read isn't doing anybody right. any good. But the, you know. One thing I was I noticed on the website that the only textbook for the Bible college that you lead is the Bible. Like there's no other books. Right. There's just the Bible. And now it makes more sense. Like I well, not that it didn't it did I was like, Well what do you what do you do for a year in the Bible? Well you're just explained what you do for a year in the Bible. You read the chapter of John or the first seven chapters of John for seven days. Now, for them, month, what, did you, yeah, what they're going to do is yeah. something more like this, Kath. They're going to take, we gonna, we're going to start off with Genesis and Job, because Job is the earliest written book from the patriarchal period. The Bible actually starts with this proposition. Do I have the right to use your life, even in uncomfortable circumstances, to speak the message of God through you? Do I have that right? That's where the Bible begins. It doesn't really start with, with um, Adam. It starts with Moses and Job, right? Yeah. Job, who's earlier, then Moses comes along, who backdates the story to Adam and tells you how they got there in kind of a short sheet method. But the point is that God starts with that message. Then he goes to Moses and says, I created everything. It's for what I say it's for. It's good and it's the way I wanted it. Let me tell you how it got fouled up huh. and what happened. And how do I redeem it? Yeah. And so the story starts playing out. What I'm looking for a student to do, for a staff member, for a person who's trying to, at this point, just pick up a Bible and read it. Start off with narrative as a biography. Start reading the story and ask, who is God in this story? Hmm. Who is this person in the story? What are unbelievers, like Egyptians, learning in this story in Exodus? What is Pharaoh learning? What is Moses learning? What are the people learning? Because yeah, God is not speaking to one. He speaks to everybody at the same time. Right. Yeah, that's good. So a slightly different question. One of the ways that I was introduced to you is through your One Hour, One Book. One Book, One Hour. One Hour, One Book, book, one book mm -hmm. videos uh, where you take, uh, and it's usually a little bit less than an hour. It's usually yes, like sure. 48 minutes to 52 minutes. And so I listened to Titus, short book for about that amount of time. I listened to Isaiah long book for about that same amount of time. How? So one of my questions is how do you do that? Okay, first like, of all, those are cuts. Kathy, to be fair, I teach all 66 chapters of Isaiah to those students. So at the end, I do a recap in one class session of what we just looked at over the last 40 hours yeah. of reading this book. It's it's still, I mean, like for me, it's been super helpful. It's Good. just been super helpful. Good. So, but you still do Isaiah in one hour. So at the end of it, it, imagine you've just taught or preached all the way through a book. Yeah. And you've been doing this now for like a week and a half. I'll do yeah. Isaiah in class. 
at the end of that, could you stand up in one hour and summarize everything that you just said? And that's really what those are shot from. Probably not as well as you. Well, yeah. <laughs> I've also been doing it for 20 years, every year, all the way through the Bible. Yeah. And there is, I'm going to tell you, there's no one who has more fun than I do. To you watch. look like you have fun oh. when I watch your videos. They yeah. are phenomenal. These are unbelievable young people that come from uh, this, this year. They're coming from 11 states around the country. We get international students. Yeah. Uh, and then I go up to Canada and we get, we get Canadian students. And all of them are incredible. The thing about it is, though, I watch them go from not really understanding what the Bible even is yeah. to how, you know, if you don't know that Haggai is about you know, apathy and discouragement and contaminating sin, you're not going to use it. Right, you're not going to go read you got to know how it works. Right. And yeah. if you know how it works, watch them. Their eyes light up, and then they start going, God didn't leave me without a toolbox. Yeah. I actually have evidence for what it is I'm trying to say, and he actually has something he wants to say through me. Yeah. And the empowering thing for your church right here is if someone walks in the door tonight, I want them to walk out of here having met Jesus and having been so profoundly moved that we're not just making this up. He right. said something. He is changing them. He will change them. Yeah. And we're evidences. Don't look at us because we're just a little further along in the journey still messed up. Yeah. But look at him. Yeah. Uh, so, Team Vineyard, here's my tip for you. Go to onehouronebook.com and there's, is there every book of the Bible? Yes. Every book of the Bible and take some time and watch those because they're super good. I think they will um, inform your faith and do all the things we just talked about. So onehouronebook.com. You should go there and check those out. Uh, so we have just a few more minutes. And so I'm going to do, there's so many things I want to do. I'm trying to decide. <laughs> Deep question or just get to know you a little bit more. So I think I'm going to do the they get to know you a little bit more. So these are quick questions. I called it a speed round, which I stole from someone. I'm confident. So I'm just going to ask you some quick questions. And I don't even know how you're going to answer the first one. Your favorite book of the Bible? Probably Leviticus. Really? Yes. Okay, so speed round, Kathy, does not mean you get to ask why Leviticus. But why Leviticus? I really want to know. You don't know how our Father thinks. If you don't understand the rules he gave to our older brother Israel and what's behind those rules. And he says them elegantly huh. in the defense of the weak all the way through Leviticus. That's powerful. Cool. Okay. Last book you read that was not the Bible. Oh, I read like a ton of articles. And I'm ha I happen to be right now having to rewrite a paper so my mind is scattered. <laughs> Actually, the last thing I read was an analysis of, uh, of the judge's um, findings from the lady who is sitting trying to become a Supreme oh, Court yeah. Justice. Okay. So I just read an analysis of her opinions over the last 10 years. Yeah. <laughs> that was the last thing I read. Okay. It was about 150 pages, and it was pretty enlightening. It was pretty yeah. helpful. Good. Um, your favorite place that you ever traveled? I really do love southern France and mm. northern Italy. Um, Lake Como in northern Italy. If you 
you, if you have to wait for heaven, wait for heaven. If, otherwise, go to Lake Como in Italy. <laughs> it's already there. Um, but I do. I like the lavender fields in the southern part of France. Oh, cool. um, my wife and I went to, to uh, Dubrovnik this past year. We're not. I've never actually even seen Game of Thrones, but apparently it's a big thing there because they film it there. And uh, very, very cool, just seaside castle-like thing. Yeah. It was just overwhelming. I've been to so many gorgeous places. Yeah. Well, so is there a place that you want to go that you haven't been to? Wow. Um, there are new excavations I want to see, things that are happening in central Turkey right now. I have not done Iraq, Iran. Oh, okay. Um, again, from a biblical standpoint, yeah. I'm, I, I'm, I do teach history of Islam and other things in, yeah. in courses, but really I would go there for, for the, the whole record of the Bible. Yeah. And I haven't really been able to do that. And I'm not, I mean, we send teams to Iraq for mission purposes, but it's still pretty dicey. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, one food, these, so these are not deep. One food you wouldn't want to give up. Which oh I, I like goodness. asking this question to someone who travels a lot. Well, you know, I, I truly believe that there will be espresso in heaven, chocolate in heaven, uh-huh. and peanut butter in heaven. I think these are heaven foods that God created <laughs> for just... Now, the, here's the thing, though. To just put one idea there. God gave you the ability to ingest food, but he also gave you taste buds. Right. Which tells you that he wanted you to have a good time with the experience. Nice. I mean, I love that about God. Nice. That we get the ability to taste it. And you're not going to tell me you've ever had a better experience than opening a brand new coffee can or the peanut butter when you just pop that little, that, that lid mm-hmm. on it. I mean, these are wonderful experiences. So, yes, <laughs> I'm a foodie, though. I got to tell you. Uh, what do you do for fun? Ooh, I am a person who comes home exhausted and turns on a lecture on something I don't know about. <laughs> My wife will tell you that I get thrilled by learning. That's what that's actually what makes me tick. Okay. And so I do everything I can and I'll I'll find somebody on a podcast I know nothing about or I will get a lecture. Normally I'm um the the great courses if you guys don't know about those you want to know about I those. Think I've heard of- that. They're excellent, most of them very secular, but they're the best people I know in different fields teaching on their field. The great courses. The great courses. Okay. And I'll go in there and I'll, I have, I think, 90 courses of theirs, okay? Yeah. So I'm a courseaholic. I'll watch some lecture on some obscure topic that I know nothing about, and I will just get excited and thrilled. Yeah. And my wife will say, look, I'll take a walk with you, but we're not talking about what you just, <laughs> we're just not doing that. So. Well, anyway. I was, was going to ask a hobby, but you said you're flipping a house, so that sounds like maybe it's a hobby. I do electric, plumbing, carpentry. Nice. Lots of different stuff and lots of tile. Lots of tile. Uh, Okay. Um, I think we're good. Is there anything else you'd like to say to our Team Vineyard members? This is an awkward time for the church. Hmm. Churches, I'm traveling from church to church, and churches that think that our job is communication are failing. Hmm. I'm going to tell you this. I think we've lost a third of all the wealth of the North American church in the last six months. Wow. I think when it comes back, we won't be what we were. Hmm. I was at Grace College here for their opening. Yeah. The head of Grace College said to me, I've got 500 and that's a record new class coming in. I said, how'd you do it? He said, well, there were 3,100 Christian colleges a year ago. There's 2,500 of us left. 
I don't think we recognize that we've been hit in the in the gut. Yeah. Now, churches that make this about communication are trying to turn it into a TV show. Mm. Discipleship can't be done by TV show, or Jesus would have sent a video and stayed in heaven, right? <laughs> the truth is, churches that understand connection of people to each other and to the Lord Jesus and to his word are the churches that will survive and grow and thrive. Amen. And I would just call on your team, connect, connect, connect. Make sure that people understand that you're there with Jesus for them and that you serve Jesus by serving them. Yeah. And that's how you see it. Yeah. Because connection is everything right now. Or we will not get people to come back because they found out there's other things they can do on Sunday right. morning. Right. Exactly. That's so, we've seen that. Yeah, that's so true. That is a good word. That's a good word. Thank you for that. So, Team Vineyard, I hope that you were taking notes during this podcast. I was looking for a pencil or a pen. So if you didn't, you should listen to it again and take some notes. But thanks so much for being with us, Team Vineyard. We are excited to serve alongside you. And we'll see you this weekend.